We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've got your outline from your worship folder, it's got the verses on there. Maybe you'd like to turn in your Bible instead. And you can read along with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. From one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all are made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, of hearing. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, thanks, Joe. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Well, let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. It's food. It's nourishment to our souls. Lord, it is wonderful to be able to hold in our hands the very words of the living God. And this morning, as a body of believers, as a congregation, we want to come under the authority of your word, submit ourselves to you, and we ask that your spirit would speak to us, Lord, where we need encouragement, encourage us, where we need correction, correct us, where we need to repent, grant that as a gift, we pray, where we, where we need to see your vision for why you have us here, open our eyes to that. And uh, talk to us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's interesting, something that should strike all of us today uh, from this passage is that the way that Paul talks about it makes it abundantly clear that he believed that church is not just something you go to, church is something that you are. Our thinking might need to be adjusted on this because in our culture we routinely use language that makes it sound like we believe that church is something that you go to. Like maybe even this morning, you said, are we ready to go to church, family? <laughs> or did you go to church last week? Or our class meets at the church. But technically, that's not accurate. Here's the truth. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ today, if you are in Christ, you are the church. 
We are the church gathered today in this church building, but we are the church. And when we leave here in a few minutes, we will continue to be the church scattered abroad throughout our neighborhoods and places of work and so forth. The church gathered and the church scattered, but regardless of where we are, our location, we are the church. Would you say that with me? We are the church. That's how Paul talks about it. Just like in the previous 11 chapters of this book, Paul is in correction mode when he writes this. Something is very much out of alignment in that church with God's design and purpose for his church at Corinth, and now Paul seeks to correct it. And what appears to be happening is this. In that congregation, which was extremely gifted, those members who, pers- who possess the more spectacular public platform kind of gifts were being held up and elevated and made into celebrities and given lots of respect. And those who had the more behind-the-scenes gifts, the serving and helping type gifts, were being made to feel inferior. And that's what was going on in that church. And so Paul was con- compelled to speak words of correction into that situation. And in doing so, he teaches us about the doctrine of the church, what theologians would call ecclesiology. Would you say that word with me? Ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. And I want to say to you this morning that your ecclesiology matters. What you believe about the nature of the church matters, and it affects many decisions that you will make about church, including how you go about choosing a church, how involved you'll get, whether you'll become a member or not, to what extent you'll get connected with the other people, the other members of the church, how and to what extent you will serve and minister and give to support the work of the church, how loyal you will feel to your church, how you'll respond when others are critical of your church, and how and under what circumstances you might leave your church. All of those decisions are impacted by your ecclesiology, your beliefs about the nature of the church. So let's allow the apostle, under the authority of Christ himself, to shape our ecclesiology today, to shape our view of the church, even to correct it if we're out of alignment with God's design. And as we heard, he uses a metaphor, an analogy for the church. He says the church is like a what? A body, a body, a human body, and not just any body, but the body of his son, the body of Christ. And so emerging from this analogy of a body, we're going to see seven principles flowing out of this passage today. Here they are, unity, diversity, value, interdependence, equal honor, sovereignty, and love. So there's the sermon in a in a phrase. He begins by talking about the unity of the body. That's principle number one. What is it? Unity. A local congregation, like that one in Corinth, like this one today, while having many members, is really one body, a unit. That's his point. He begins in verse 12. For just as the body is one, you might want to circle that word one whenever you see it here, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, 
Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You know, the church as the body of Christ is a very rich and pregnant analogy. It really is. Think about it. Jesus himself was here on our planet in body for how long? For 33 years in body here, carrying out his redemptive mission here on the earth. And then he ascended back into heaven. But his mission here on the earth did not end with his ascension, did it? His intent was that his followers coming behind him would band together in local congregations and continue in his name to carry out the work of his mission, announcing the gospel to all peoples, and through that, seeing people from every ethnic group be reconciled to God through Christ. In essence, these local congregations were to be the hands and the feet and the ears and the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ himself, the very body of Christ. That was his design and intent. So for us here today at New Life, while we have 901 individual members, or what we call ministry partners here in this church, in God's design, together we form one body. Not 901 individuals, but one body coming together under the headship of Christ And we are to think of ourselves that way, as a single unit, not a collection of individuals. Now, I know when we hear this, you know, the oneness of the body of Christ, the unity of the body of Christ, it can raise a lot of questions. It does in my mind, too. Particularly with how and why things turned out the way that they did after Jesus left with so many different kinds of churches and so many different kinds of denominations and associations and labels and Baptists and Episcopals and Methodists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals. How many of you have ever been confused by all of that or have friends who've been confused by it? And we think, you know, I thought the body was supposed to be one, united. It's, it's confusing the way it's all kind of played out. It often doesn't feel like we're all one. And sometimes it even feels like individual churches are competing with each other for people or for resources and so forth. And I don't have the answer for all of that. I do know that Jesus is coming back one day and he is going to truly bring his body together as one. That'll be a glorious day. When we get to heaven, we will truly be united, one, under his headship. What I do know is that we are responsible to move forward as one body with Jesus' mission in our hearts and his gospel on our lips. And we need to, need to love all the body of Christ, don't we? Not just us, the whole body of Christ. Now, a little sidebar here. In verse 13, it has this statement. Where'd it go? For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. You see that? How many of you have ever heard the term the baptism of the Holy Spirit or being spirit baptized? Okay, very common term. It's a kind of a controversial term. Different groups of Christians have different views on what is the baptism of the Spirit. And there are those who contend that there is a second experience that you can have as a Christian subsequent to salvation, sometimes called a second work of grace, that if you experience that, and they'll call it the baptism of the Spirit, it will either... Remove your sin nature so that you won't sin anymore. Oh, I wish there was such a thing. 
or it will empower you to live a victorious Christian life. And so they would say, you need to seek for the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a Christian so that you can have that power in your life. But interestingly, Paul declares in verse 13 that we were all baptized by the Spirit into one body. His view is that every Christian has experienced the reality of the baptism of the Spirit. And so if there is a second experience that empowers you for service and to to live victoriously, we probably shouldn't call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit because Paul says all Christians have experienced that reality. So let's repeat the first principle together again. Unity. Say it with me. Unity. A local congregation, while having many members, is really one body. And second, diversity. That's the second principle. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. The members of of the one body have a variety of different gifts and functions. We are different. Just look up and down your row right now, and you'll see a variety of different kinds of people. And so God calls us to unity, but not uniformity. He wants us united, but not all the same. And when God brings unity out of diversity, it brings him glory. He specializes in doing that. And Paul just referred to the body consisting of both Jews and Greeks, slave and free. And those were huge cultural divides in the first century. And he says they were all brought together in Christ. Sometimes I look around at all the different kinds of people who make up New Life Church, and I marvel that there's any unity at all among such a vast array of different kinds of people. (laughs) Right here in this room today, we have different temperaments, different gift mixes, different skill sets, experiences, different passions, different callings. We're composed of people from different generations, different genders, different skin color, different ethnic backgrounds, different income levels, different music preferences. Right here in this room, We have PC people and Mac people, (laughs) whom I call the fraternity of the smug, and I am one. We have BlackBerry people and iPhone people. We have Browns fans and Steelers fans right here in this room, coexisting together in a relative measure of peace and harmony, (laughs) at least for the moment. We have Democrats and Republicans. We have Cameron Mitchell patrons and the Waffle House crowd (laughs) together in this room. How many of you love Waffle House? I just want to say, okay. I'm in. I'm in. We have lovers of Jane Austen movies and fans of Ultimate Fighting. Nordstrom shoppers and Walmart folks. When you think about it from a purely... What was that? When you think about it from a purely human perspective, it's amazing that there's even one shred of unity in a group like this. But what God has done through his spirit is baptized all of us into the same body and given us the same common treasure that is precious to us. And his name is Jesus. And we share the most important thing in common. And so we can deal with our different preferences and tastes and styles. Amen? Because we share Jesus in common. Wait till we get to heaven people from every tribe and nation and tongue and language 
will bow together and worship the Lamb. God brings unity out of diversity, and he loves doing that. It brings him great glory. Now, truthfully, the differences that Paul is referring to in this passage aren't really differences in taste or style, but are different functions in the body. We each have a specialized function, he says. Much like an ear or an eye or a heart, each have a specific function in the human body. Paul is saying we're different in that regard. God has given us and gifted us in different ways and given us different functions in his body. And so the first principle is the principle of unity. We are one. And the second principle is that of diversity. We are different. Now here's the third third principle, and it's value. Value. Every single member has value. Every single member of the body is important, and what each contributes to the overall health of the body is vital. That's what he's going to say. And he says it in an interesting way. Verse 15, If the foot should say, so now we have talking feet, how would a foot sound? I don't know. Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, now we have talking ears, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that's an interesting picture, isn't it? Big old eyeball rolling around. Where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, this is a very important verse, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. As he chose. You ought to underline that. God did it. God's in charge. He's the divine conductor, placing gifts in people and people in congregations to accomplish his purposes. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. What's he saying? Everybody's important. Everyone is important. Every single member of the body has something to offer that the body needs. We each have value. We have right here in this body of believers those who serve as the hands of the body. You're the, you're the doers. You're the worker bees here. The people who love to do the physical, hands-on work of ministry, setting things up, tearing things down, making things, preparing meals, stuffing envelopes, doing the hands-on work. You're the hands of the body, fixing things building things, cleaning things. We praise God for the hands of the body, amen? You're needed, you're important here. There are among us people who serve as the feet of the body, the feet, always on the go, always fidgeting, saying, you know, why are we sitting around? Let's go somewhere, let's do something. They take us places that maybe we've never been before and make us want to go there. The feet of the body. We have people who serve as the eyes of the body with vision. They can see further out than the rest of us, and they seek to prepare the rest of us for what's coming. Or maybe their peripheral vision is a little wider than the rest of us, and they see things that we don't notice. They challenge us to expand our range of sight to see what God's up to in in our midst and in our community and in our world, the eyes of the body. Some precious people are the ears of the body especially attuned to hear the voice of the Spirit of God and what he's saying to us. Often these are prayer warriors, intercessors in the church, listening to the voice of God and calling out to him on our behalf to bring to pass that which he has 
purposed in his heart. All of these functions, all of them are vitally important for the health of the body. All of them and many, many more. There's the heart, there's the lungs, there's the liver of the body. Some of you are the liver. Think about that. Filtering out the impurities and the toxins of the body so that we'll be healthy. Every part, every limb, every organ, valuable, important to the health of the body. Whenever, you know, sometimes people hear a message like this and they think, well, I, you know, I don't really have much to offer. I think I'm like, you know, the big toe. But you know what? Without your big toe, you would have a hard time maintaining your balance as you're walking down the street. Your big toe is crucial to the equilibrium of the body. Every part, every part matters. No matter how visible or behind the scenes or invisible your role and function are. You know, in some churches, certain gifted people receive an inordinate amount of attention and respect and get an inordinate amount of credit out of proportion to their actual value to the body. In a celebrity culture like ours, it's often the upfront people, the platform people, who get all the accolades and all the applause, and people want to be like them. Back in the first century church in Corinth, it was the people with the more public gifts the more miraculous, showy gifts like healings and tongues and miracles and those kinds of gifts, they were the ones who were being elevated to superstar status and becoming objects of envy and jealousy. Maybe you can hear the people kind of whispering, why couldn't I be like them? Why couldn't I be like that person? Why couldn't I have had their gifts or their function or their role in the church? Look at all the groupies they have surrounding them all the time. How come I can't have that? Maybe I'm not really needed here. I think those kinds of attitudes represent two abuses of spiritual gifts that God, that, uh, God and Paul want to correct. You could call them gift envy and gift inferiority. Gift envy. I want what they have. Gift inferiority is, you know, well, maybe I just don't have anything to really offer. I'm not very important here. I think those attitudes are toxic to the body. All of us need to understand and believe what the scriptures say, where it says God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Sometimes people in this church look around and think, you know, well, this is a, this is a mid-sized church. They've probably got everything covered. I'm not needed here. Let me tell you, everything is not covered. You are needed here, regardless of what your gifting is or your function is. You're needed. So, the first three principles of the body, what are they? Number one, unity. Number two, diversity. Third, value. And fourth, interdependence. Not independence, interdependence. Each member needs all the other members. Listen to how he says it in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, don't need you, go away. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I think this is very insightful. Not only is each member necessary for the overall health of the body, 
but each member needs every other member in the body. That's what he's saying. We are interdependent, interconnected, interwoven. And some of you feel this. Some of you feel this regularly. I know I need my brothers and sisters in the body. I feel that. I know that and live out of that. Others of you have more of a cavalier attitude and you don't really feel it. You don't feel that need to be connected. But we pray that you will. Because in God's design, that's what we are to be. Interdependent. That's why we say we need each other. We need each other. Would you say that with me? We need each other. It's interesting, the increasing awareness in the medical field of just how interdependent the different systems of the human body really are. When one organ or system is hurt or malfunctioning or shuts down, other systems step in to compensate. And that affects other systems in the body. It's all interrelated. And there's an analogy with the body of Christ, I think both on the positive side and the negative side. On the positive side... Over the years, we've seen this scenario quite often where God will call a family out of our church to relocate somewhere. And maybe it's due to a job loss and a need to, to find new work. And, and this year, we've seen this you know, dozens of times. I think I stopped counting at about 30 families who've moved away you know, to California or Georgia or Kansas or that place up north uh, to find work. And God... God does that, and others might leave as part of a church planting team, like Jay was talking about earlier. And as a result of departing, their function in this body is vacated. Then, this is beautiful when it happens, someone else who's been on the sidelines will see the need and will step in and offer themselves to fill that gap and compensate for the loss. And when that happens, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We've seen that many, many times over the years. On the other side of the ledger, we've also seen situations where someone decides for some reason to step out of a ministry role, maybe didn't give much notice, maybe without having mentored or trained anybody to take their place, and now this new vacancy necessitates that some other part of the body already doing what they're doing, already fulfilling their function, has to take on an additional load, putting a stress and a strain on them, and the other systems around them are affected and it impairs the health of the body. I know this sounds like an anatomy lesson this morning, but you understand how this works in the body of Christ? That's how many churches get to what's called the 2080 rule or the 2080 principle with 20% of the people carrying 80% of the load. And it's not healthy. It's not what God intended. He intended for every part in the body to fulfill its function. Listen, we are a body. We're not perfect. We know that. But we are interrelated, interwoven, interconnected, and interdependent with each other. Maybe more than you feel that. We are in the mind of God and in his design for New Life Church. Our choices really do affect not only the overall health of the body, but the other members of the body. I think it's interesting the particular parts of the body that Paul mentions in this section. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Isn't this often how it happens? The head, the eyes, people in leadership, people with visionary gifts thinking, we don't need the people on the ground. 
We don't need the worker bees. We're, we're what it's really all about. And that is so foolish. Who's going to carry out this big, wonderful vision, Mr. I? <laughs> Isn't it going to be the hands and the feet? And so here's another abuse that Paul is correcting. You could call it gift snobbery <laughs> or gift superiority, which is like, you know, I'm pretty much it around here and uh, I'm the one who's needed most. There is to be no gift snobbery in the body of Christ. Paul would say, don't make certain gifted people into celebrities. Don't view certain people as superior to others. And if you are one of those with public gifts, don't start acting superior and feeling entitled to special attention and special treatment. We're interdependent. We need each other. Head and feet, eyes and hands need each other. Fifth principle is the principle of equal honor. Equal honor. And that principle basically states that no member is inferior or superior to any other member regardless of their relative visibility, whether you see him or not. Verse 22 is where he states this. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Think big toe. Indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Think eyebrows. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. Don't even think about those. <laughs> but God has so composed the body. God has put it together like this, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. This is very interesting. Stop there. Paul basically says, think about it. Think about your own body for a minute. You have a variety of muscles and limbs and organs that make up your body. Some of them are visible. Other people can see them. Others are invisible, hidden. Do you regard your internal organs of less value than your external limbs? Yes or no? No. You know, you can live without your hand, which everybody can see, but you can't live without your heart or your lungs. God designed it that way, that the less visible or invisible Members of our bodies are, in one sense, even more important than the visible ones. We give them special care and clothing and protection. And that's to illustrate not only a biological, physical truth, but a spiritual truth. I think what he's saying is, don't let the visible people be viewed as more superior and be given more honor than those who serve and work behind the scenes. Equal honor is the principle. That's how God designed it. In a healthy body, in a healthy church, equal honor is given to all members regardless of how visible or invisible their function is. This is shown in how the members care for one another and how connected they feel to each other. And Paul describes that connectedness in verse 25. He says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That sounds kind of like our brother's keeper theme, doesn't it? You know, some people when they're struggling or suffering think that it's virtuous to be a silent sufferer. It's 
like, okay, I guess I just got to, I'm going through it. I just got to suck it up and go through it. I don't want to burden other people with what I'm going through. But this says that in a body where you're interrelated, interconnected, that others will come alongside and help shoulder that burden with you if you share it. I don't think that being a silent sufferer is a virtue in a body of believers. You know, we sometimes people get frustrated with, with us in leadership because they had expectations that we would minister to them in a certain way and we didn't. And, we, and the truth was we didn't even know about it. <laughs> Nobody told us. Or maybe in your small group, you know, you're gathered there with them and you got something going on. Share it. I mean, that's the place. If one member suffers, the other members suffer with it. But maybe we're better than that than we are the other one, which is rejoicing. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice. And we got to share that as well, right? I was in a meeting yesterday where some, some of our leaders were sharing with me some of the good things that are going on in people's lives in the church. And it was just great. It was rejoicing. It was encouraging. I was able to rejoice with that. But if you keep all your joy to yourself, no one can rejoice with you. And the body is impaired. Because we need to hear how God is at work in each of our lives. It's a great picture. All members having equal concern for each other, no one feeling superior, no one made to feel inferior, everybody honored and valued equally, everybody sharing in each other's joys and struggles. No division in the body. A brother's keeper kind of church. Verse 27, he says, Now, You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Kind of a summary statement reminding us that it's God's church. He purchased the church with his own blood. That's what Acts 20.28 says. Purchased the church with his own blood and it's precious to him. And as a result, he is sovereign over it. That's the sixth principle. Sovereignty. Did you say that word with me? Sovereignty. God is over the church. God has gifted members as he sees fit, and no one possesses all the gifts. Here's how he says it, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church, this is God's work now, gifting people and placing them in the church. First, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating. By the way, underline those two, helping and administrating. We're going to come back to those in a few moments. And various kinds of tongues, speaking in tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? These are called rhetorical questions, right? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, it's God who distributed his gifts to the members of his church. Who got what gift is God's business. He appointed some and distributed as he wills. He didn't give everybody the same gifts, and no one has all the gifts. So stop envying one another and being jealous. That's some very interesting things here. The first is Paul gives this sort of ranking of gifts. Do you see it? In verse 28, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, and so forth. There's this ranking. He's giving the gifts, and Scholars believe that he's ranking them according to their usefulness in building up the whole body of Christ. Because that's the purpose of the gifts, to build up the whole body of Christ. And so we thank God for the apostles and prophets who got things going in the first century and got the church off the ground and then those who came after them. 
But notice what comes last in this sequence. Did you, did you pick up on that? Yeah, speaking in tongues comes last in this sequence of gifts useful for building up the whole body. What we're going to see going forward in this book is that that is very significant, especially when it comes to what gifts are most beneficial for building up the church when the church gathers together like we are right now. That's the, that's the whole theme of chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians that we'll get to. And then notice the rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? What's the implied answer? No! <laughs> no! Particularly notice that it says, do all speak with tongues? Answer? No. This undermines the position of those who would teach that Christians should seek to speak in tongues. All Christians should seek to speak in tongues as a sign that they've been, whatever, baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul believed that the gift of tongues was a gift given and distributed in the body of Christ like all the other gifts and not necessarily a sign of anything, any measure of spirituality. Very interesting. Now, if you have lots of questions about the practice of speaking in tongues or healings and miracles and prophecy and the charismatic movement, or maybe you have friends, as I do, then you'll want to be here in January and February as we go through chapter 13 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians because that's what the topic, that's what they're all about. And we will get into it, and it will be interesting and intriguing and controversial. But we will ask God to instruct us through it. The point is, God is sovereign in bestowing his gifts on his people. He's the head of the church, and we should trust his judgment in distributing the gifts and functions in the body. And now there's a final principle that Paul gives us, and it's overarching. It's one that he will expand in the next chapter. Verse 31, he closes out chapter 12 by saying, Earnestly, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And what is that excellent way? What is it? It's the way of love. It's the way of love. That's the principle. Love. Members of the body should seek the highest good of the entire church rather than elevating themselves. I believe that what Paul is saying here is that when a church comes together in its gatherings, we should seek to exercise the gifts that are most beneficial to the whole body. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. We know that he cannot be saying or meaning there that individual Christians should seek to acquire the more spectacular public gifts like miracles and healings and tongues because he just spent the last 20 verses countering that. And he's not schizophrenic. I believe what he's saying is that you all need to seek to express the higher gifts the gifts that are most beneficial to the whole body when you come together. And we'll see that develop more in the subsequent chapters. Primarily, Paul wants them and us to understand that there's a more excellent way to live and serve and relate to the body of Christ than getting all focused on who's got what gifts and who's got what roles and what functions. And it's the way of love. Our opening series in 2011 will be, as I said, the greatest of these. And we'll talk about love for four weeks and what it is and what it's not. And hopefully God will shape us and form us into a more loving congregation. 
So let's review these principles, seven principles of the body of Christ together. What are they? Unity, diversity, value, interdependence, equal honor, sovereignty, and love. So what's in here for us? What's in here for New Life Church? A lot. (laughs) More than I have time to mention. But let me mention a few things to you by way of application. Let's talk for a moment about the gift of helps. That was one of those gifts listed in verse 28, I believe it was. The gift of helps. In previous weeks, we looked at the gifts of wisdom and knowledge and faith. But some of you have the gift of helps, many of you perhaps. You say, what is that? Well, I believe that's the desire and ability to support other people in their ministries by joyfully coming alongside them, usually behind the scenes, doing whatever is necessary to help them complete the task that God has given them. People with this gift tend to find joy in helping shoulder the load that someone else is carrying. That's joyful to them. They like helping other people. They usually prefer not to lead and not to be in the spotlight. That's like, no, don't, don't put me up there, please. I'm a behind-the-scenes person. This is a supporting gift. They like being recognized, but they don't like receiving recognition in public. They are humble servants who perceive what is needed and enjoy stepping in and offering themselves in support of others. Jesus, by the way, possessed this gift, as he possessed all the gifts. Wasn't it Jesus who said, I am among you as one who serves? You say, I wonder if I have that gift. Well, let me give you a few questions to consider. Do you enjoy helping others become more effective at their work? Do you prefer to labor behind the scenes, out of the spotlight? When someone is doing a job poorly, is your first instinct to help them instead of criticize them? Do you prefer to work in a supportive role rather than in a leadership or upfront capacity? When you hear of somebody with a need, do you offer yourself if at all possible, and when someone asks for your help, do you have a hard time saying no? (laughs) That's the mark of someone with the gift of helps. How many of you suspect you might have in your gift mix the gift of helps? Can I see your hands? Many, many of you. It's a wonderful gift. Thank God for it. My wife, one of her primary gifts is this gift, the gift of helps. Tell her about being, you know, the possibility of being in front of people. She's like, eh. I prefer to serve behind the scenes, and she does every day and every week. Thank God for you. And then there's this gift of administration or leadership that he mentions, the gift of administration. This is interesting. The word actually means to steer or pilot a ship. I believe not so much leading it from the bow, but guiding it from the stern, guiding it from behind. People with this gift have the desire and ability to to give direction and make decisions on behalf of others that result in efficiency. Getting it done efficiently. efficiently. These people love spreadsheets, (laughs) highlighters, label makers. They're a little odd in that regard. No, they're not. Great folks. They love to organize things. People, information, and things, and systems. They're systems people. They love to accomplish things in an orderly fashion. They have an eye for detail. They, all, they possess natural gifts of observation and problem-solving and reasoning. Jesus, by the way, had this gift. 
Didn't he organize a small little band of misfits into a finely honed discipleship team that turned the world upside down in a few years? Of course, he had all the gifts. Do you have this gift? It's great to have gifted, godly, humble administrators on the team. Here's some questions to consider if you're wondering about this. When things are poorly organized, do you get frustrated and want to help and fix it? (laughs) Can you bring order out of chaos? Do you naturally organize your life, your schedule, your finances, your priorities, your closet? Look at the closets of these people. The, the, The hangers are like one inch apart, like... I don't know. That's not healthy, is it? (laughs) Pathological. Not really. Do you become energized by working on tasks and projects? Do things like efficiency and promptness matter to you more than they do to most people? Do you like, as I said, budgets, organizational charts, software, files, label makers? Do highlighters make you happy? How many of you suspect you might have the gift of administration? Can I see your hands? Okay, awesome. Run businesses maybe or many, many roles and functions in the body where administrative people are needed. But I'd say this, whatever your gift, whatever your gift, are you using it somewhere? Are you functioning in the body of Christ somewhere? The body needs you. You say, I don't even know where to start. I think I've got something to offer. I'm not sure where to start. Talk to somebody. Talk to a small group leader. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a ministry director and say, I'm... I'm offering myself to the body of which I'm a part. And we'll try to get you directed into an area where there's a need and where you can be fulfilled in it. The last thing I want to say is each and every one of us, each and every one of us share in the responsibility for the health of this body of believers, for removing the toxins, (laughs) for moving forward with the mission of Jesus in our hearts and the gospel of Jesus on our lips. It's all of our responsibility. It's not just mine or our elders or pastors or ministry staff. It's all of our responsibility to keep the body healthy. Well, the way I'd like to finish um, this message this morning is to do what it says. We read earlier in verse 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We do this every week, actually. It's called our Brother's Keeper Prayer Time. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And uh, I want to start with what may be the more difficult one. And that is for those of you who are rejoicing right now. And there are some of you who are rejoicing. You know, for you right now, God is good. Life is good. Prayers are being answered. A lady right down here last night, she raised her hand on this one, and we came around her, and she said, she said God is good. I just got a 28% raise at work. I said, did you say 28, like two and eight together? And uh, she was overwhelmed. I know that stirred up some envy in some of you, and I'm sorry. Didn't mean to be a cause for temptation. But you know, in her life, that was a huge thing. Doesn't have to be a huge thing. Might be a small thing. But you're rejoicing, and because you're part of a body, interdependent, interconnected, God wants you to share that with some others who could come around you and just say, thank you, God, for being so good. So think about that, okay? And then some of you are struggling right now. You're on the other side of the ledger and you're going through hard times and facing some things and God doesn't want you to be a silent sufferer, you know, and just suck it up and try to get through it. 
you will feel a lifting of your burden as people come around you and pray for you and you share with them what's going on.